It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and the virtual bible study for september 6 2007 is on your computer my name is jacob gwynn my father greg gwynn is back hello dad welcome back Jacob, it's good to be with you again on the Virtual Bible Study. And it's good to be with you. The number to call to be a part of the program tonight is 877-381-4567. Or you can send in your questions or comments to questions at collegeview.com. We're looking forward to hearing from you on the program tonight. We have an interesting study tonight. We want to talk about, you're going to have to explain this one to me. We normally well, talk about things that will help us to be better Christians Tonight, you want to talk about things that have the potential to ruin us as Christians? Well, we're going to look at it both ways, but this is sort of a play on a a popular book from a few years ago. A fellow named Stephen Covey wrote a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And in his book, what he claims to have discovered, I think it's probably pretty much a common sense observation, is that people who are good at their job, people who are good at what they do, who are effective individuals, Regardless of the job or activity that might be under consideration, he claims that he could tell that there were seven common characteristics of all highly successful and effective people. And so uh, taking that as, as sort of a place to jump off, but kind of going at it from the back door, what I suggested when I send out an email to our update list today was wonder what would be the things that would be preventing us from being effective people. In other words, are there common traits? When we see Christians who are failing, are there common traits that cause them to be ineffective? I think that there are. And so we ask the question, uh, we ask a couple questions. Before I get to those questions, by the way, if you'd like to be on this update list, if you'd like to get to these weekly updates and get these polling questions that we've been using on our programs, send us an email and just to say, you know, put me on your bulletin mailing list, put you on, put me on your update list, and uh, you'll get these updates, plus you'll get our weekly bulletin every week, and uh, we've got a number of people, several hundred, who are receiving that, and we'd be glad to add you to our list as well. So just send us an email if you'd like to, to be on that mailing list. But here's the questions we sent out today. Number one, what do you think is the number one most damaging thing, especially an habitual thing, that a Christian might do or fail to do that would ruin his effectiveness in service to the Lord? That was question one. Question two was, what habit or regular practice is most important in a Christian's life to help ensure his fruitful service? So we're kind of going at it both ways. In other words, what are some of the things, what are some of the the habits people get into that really ruin their effectiveness as a Christian, what are some of the things we all need to do and and make them habitual? That is, and, and when I'm using the word habitual here, I'm not suggesting, you know, mindlessly or robotically, but what are some of the things that we ought to do without fail all the time that would help us be more effective in service to the Lord? That's, that's the way we want to approach this tonight, Jacob. And you've got seven things there. You think all of the comments we'll get tonight will fall into those seven categories? Are you saying those are exclusive? No, I, there, there may be. A, I think there's a whole host of things, but I've got seven things written down here that I think might be part of it. And several of our emailers who've sent in already, I think, are are uh, so, sort of falling in line with what uh, what I think are some of those traits that can both ruin your effectiveness or ensure your effectiveness as a Christian. Send in your comments, and we'll see if they line up with the ones that we've got. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Take a minute and be a part of the discussion tonight. Jacob, uh, let's just start out with uh, something that I think is going to ruin people in their effectiveness as a Christian, and that is to try to be friends with the world, friendship with the world. And and I'm, I'm taking that from James chapter 4 and verse 4, 
where it says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be the friend of the world is the enemy of God. We understand there in James 4, verse 4, that uh, James is using the term adulterer, adulterers and adulteresses, not in the literal sense, but in the spiritual sense. In other words, those who are not faithful to the Lord, who are spiritually unfaithful. And the reason that they're spiritually unfaithful is because they have taken up a friendship of the world. And you cannot be a friend of the world uh, and be a friend of God. You're an enemy of God if you are a friend of the world. And so I think one of the things that you can do, surely, to ruin your effectiveness as a Christian is to... Uh, uh, Establish that friendship with the world. Maybe we need to find what that friendship is because I'm sure all of us have friends who are in the world. So what does it mean to have friendship of the world? Well, what I'm thinking of, Jacob, and again, we'd be glad to get some input. And by the way, use that toll-free telephone number, 877-381-4567. Give us a call. Well, there's a call coming in right now. We're going to, we're going to, yeah, well, I just asked for it and got it. So we'll see if we get that on the air here in just a minute. But what I'm talking about is when Christians want to be just like the world, they want to act like worldly people act. They want to talk like worldly people talk. They want to dress the way worldly people dress and do the kind of things that worldly people do. In other words, they want to be like the world so that you couldn't hardly distinguish between them if you tried and that's that's a friendship of the world. Being a Christian requires us to be different in many respects. We cannot be like the world. The world is not serving the Lord Jesus. The world is going to hell uh, because they're not serving the Lord. And so we need to, to not be like the world and not try to establish this friendship with the world. Uh, when you think of the people, Jacob, who are the strongest Christians... Uh, you know, all of us have some people in mind that we've known throughout our lifetime who are really strong, dedicated Christians. They didn't get that way by trying to be like the world around us. They were they were uh, content to be different when it was necessary to be different. They weren't trying to, to buddy up to the world. They were trying to see how close they could get to the Lord. And so friendship with the world is devastating to a Christian and will ruin his uh, effective service to the Lord. All right, so it will ruin his relationship with the Lord. It will ruin his relationship with his brethren. It will ruin his influence on those who are not Christians. It totally uh, jeopardizes his effectiveness as a Christian. Yeah. We've got an email from Jim in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee, who says, I think any type of habit that emphasizes the world over Christ is that which damages our effectiveness, such things as coarse language, smoking cigarettes, having an occasional beer. Going to R-rated, he mentions, uh, I want to mention one other thing he's got to be going on. He says, going to R-rated, foul language, promiscuous, promiscuous sex movies. All these things associate us with the world and not with Christ. Thus, they damage our effectiveness and try to convince people to change their lives and become more like Christ. In other words, how can we get people to be more Christ-like when we're being like them instead of being like Christ? And I think that's, uh, so I think Jim is, is making the point we're making there. That ruins your effectiveness as a Christian. Certainly, you know why? You, if you were trying to sell something on a physical level, you were trying to sell uh, a certain type of car and say, everyone, I'm trying to sell Fords, but I'm driving Chevys. Right, you need to drive this Ford. It's the best thing for you. Let me go home in my Chevy. Uh, you, you, that's what they, the, basically the thing that we're doing is in spiritual terms. We're saying you need to be like Christ. It's the best thing for you. And then we go and try and act like the world. We're not going to be any of any effect doing that. I think that's it. I think that's it exactly. Jim mentioned one other thing here when he says being like the world, and and that is he says having a tattoo. I, I'm certain that Jim is against having tattoos. I don't know that you can make a blanket statement there uh, that that would be wrong or necessarily associate a person with the world. There, but there are some things that people do. To have a sort of re- to, to give an air of rebelliousness or something of that nature, and we wouldn't want to do that. You could you, you could talk about uh, certain kinds of uh, hair, the way you wear your hair, the way you color your hair. The, uh, you could talk about uh, facial hair, you know, the, the way a man wears his beard or something like that. And so I would agree with Jim to the extent that if if we're doing things like that for the purpose of 
showing a rebellious spirit, you know, against what is considered normal and traditional, that that would be sort of of the world. I I think what you're saying there is that uh, you couldn't find any passage in the in the scriptures that would tell you that it's a sin to have purple hair, but you wouldn't be of any use. As a preacher, if you got up on Sunday morning with purple hair, not many people would be listening to you. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> that's hard to that's even hard to picture. But uh, I probably wouldn't have a chance to do that more than once. Yeah, your hair's getting gray. It might, it might turn purple. <laughs> All right, eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview dot com. Thank you, Jim, for your comments tonight. All right, and and we'd like for you to get in on that too. Send us an email. Or give us a telephone call, 877-381-4567, and, and we'd be glad to put you all right on the air with us to talk about things that Christians do that ruin their effectiveness uh, and things that they ought to be doing, habits they ought to be establishing to to develop effectiveness and service to the Lord. Um, some other ideas that, that I think some of our emailers are, are uh, have indicated – uh, poor worship habits. If if you don't if you don't have uh, a good established practice of worshiping the Lord faithfully, uh, then that's going to really make it hard for you to be the kind of Christian you need to be. Exactly right. We need to be faithful in our worship. If we are not faithful, then we will miss out. Dad, you know you've made the point before that uh, worshiping God is for our benefit. And uh, it's not like that uh, we're doing something for God that uh, really helps him by worshiping him. It's for our benefit. And God's instruction to worship is so that we might uh, be able to endure the the challenges that we face on a daily basis. Yeah, that's right. In Psalm 122, verse 1, David said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. He was glad about it. But, you know, I think there are some Christians who aren't so necessarily glad about it. I mean, they may come. Because they feel that there's some sort of dreaded obligation that they have to fulfill, but they're bored. Uh, they see it as sort of a terrible, grievous chore that they have to fulfill. Uh, there are others who come so sporadically that you can't count on them, and, and you kind of get the idea that they come only if they don't have something else to do. And that is absolutely not the way we are to worship God. That, those are poor worship habits. And if you have those kind of poor worship habits, then you are not going to be effective in serving the Lord. You're not going to be successful in doing his will. We've got an email from a listener in Knoxville, Tennessee, who agrees with that, uh, Jacob. Uh, uh, she says, failure to comply with Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, which is to attend worship and Bible study faithfully and affect, encourage others. Uh, and then she she has the passage even here, Hebrews 10, beginning verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Uh, our emailer goes on to say, that describes an unreliable, unstable, hypocritical person. If we aren't faithful in our attendance and aren't known as someone who will always be present, how can our brethren count on us to be there so they can encourage us, so we can encourage them, rely on us as a participant in worship, uh, performing duties such as prayer and song leading, serving at the Lord's table, teacher of Bible classes, etc.? How can we therefore refer to ourselves as a Christian, a servant of Christ, if that's not reflected in our habits? That person is choosing the world over God and failing to draw near to him in submissive obedience. And so uh, this emailer suggests that um, having this poor worship practice, just not in a good routine of regularly worshiping the Lord, is a ruination to a Christian. And I would agree to that. Another emailer says, uh, what's one of the practices most important in a Christian's life? Regular attendance at worship. And he says this should be more than just a habit, but should be a desire. Uh, second to it, he said, would be regular study of God's word at home by our own motivation. And I would agree. We'll talk a little bit more about Bible study and, and so forth as we go along here. But uh, several are seeing this same point that, you know, you, you need to have a, a good practice of regular worship. You know, And I think the way you go about that, Jacob, is not to wait till say Sunday morning and say, 
Oh boy, I wonder. Am I going to go to Bible class? I don't know. I, yeah, I'm just not sure. You know, I'm kind of tired. Maybe I don't feel a hundred percent. I think I'll just stay home this time. If you wait till the last minute, what I'm saying is, if you wait till the last minute to make your decisions to worship, it'll it'll go against you. That decision needs to have been made a long time ago. I'm going to be at services every time the doors open. There's not any question. Nothing's going to come between me and that. Uh, you don't decide every time. The decision is already made. It's a past decision, and you just live by it. That's the way we need to do this. You know, I think it's a waste of time to talk about worshiping God. And uh, if we can't get past uh, worshiping God and worshiping him on a regular basis, we can't get to any of the other uh, deeper and more uh, difficult things to apply in our life. Dad, worshiping God is a fundamental thing. It'd be the equivalent of going to a calculus class or an algebra class and the teacher only talking about 2 plus 2 equals 4. If you can't get that down, you're never going to get the uh, greater concepts down. And the same is true for our Christianity, I think. If we can't find the strength in ourselves to worship God, how in the world are we going to ever get to any of the other things that we need to be doing as Christians? Where If we can't get past that, we're doomed. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, if you're not doing that, what are you doing? That, that'd be the good question to ask. If you if, if you can't even muster up the energy and the enthusiasm and the zeal to be present at the assemblies, what else are you doing effectively as a servant for the Lord? You're missing out on a good opportunity to learn and grow. You're missing out on an opportunity to, to glorify God and praise him and worship him. You're missing out on an opportunity to encourage your brethren and be encouraged by them. You're just missing out on so much, and if you're not interested in those things, and if you're willing to miss out on those things, then what are you doing effectively? You know, you don't find a lot of instruction in the New Testament for the first century Christians to worship God. They didn't have a lot of instruction. Isn't it interesting that when we want to make that point, we usually always have to go to that one passage, Hebrews 10.25, because as you say, it didn't seem like they had to emphasize that a lot in their right. We emphasize, we have to emphasize it a lot today, but it doesn't seem like the inspired writers had to emphasize it a whole lot. Just look at Acts 2. You know, if, if it was uh, Peter was preaching today on the day of Pentecost, if the day of Pentecost was in 2007, Peter would have had to said right after his sermon, now y'all be back here next Sunday, don't be missing. But nothing like that. They wanted to worship God. And uh, if we had that zeal, we would all be better off. You can't imagine that people who were willing to lay down their lives for the cause had to be prodded and and urged about just attending the assemblies. That, that, that doesn't fit. These people were willing to lay, lay their lives down. You know they were willing to worship faithfully. That's right. What do you think? 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Join in on the discussion. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Hello. Hey, Matt. No, I don't have any plans for Friday night. What are you doing? Oh, I won't be able to go with you to watch that movie. Because, Matt, the movie is rated R. Hey, why don't you just come over and hang out at my house Friday night? Great, I'll see you there. Being pleasing to God means that you may have to be different than the crowd. But don't be afraid to stand up for what's right. It just might find it is easier than what you expect. A message brought to you by College U Church of Christ. I'm James Buchanan from Columbia, Tennessee, and I love to listen to the Virtual Bible Study. Use your Internet connection for something good. Listen to the Virtual Bible Study every week. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study as we talk about habits of ineffective Christians. And or effective Christians. You can look at it either way you want to go. But what are some of the habits that can ruin your effectiveness or ensure your effectiveness uh, as a Christian? We want your comments at 877-381-4567 or email questions at collegeview.com. Jacob, uh, one of our emailers already suggested that we need to um, regularly study God's Word at home by our own motivation. I like the way that that is worded. Uh, another one uh, says uh, we need to have prayer and Bible study. Those are the two most critical elements. Uh, prayer and Bible study uh, are what helps ensure effectiveness among Christians. Um, I think I got one more email here. Yeah, one more email. Um, this one from Phil in Indiana talks about Second Peter 1 verse 8. 
uh, we'll read that in a minute. He says this seems to nail down what it takes to be effective. The regular practice of diligently growing, adding, and increasing in the qualities listed in Second Peter 1, verses 5 through 7, is the way to be useful and fruitful. Just keep at the work of growing. Let's look at that passage in in Second uh, Peter chapter 1. I think a lot of people remember these as the so-called Christian graces. Uh, it says, beginning in Second Peter chapter one verse five, besides this, give, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you uh, that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So uh, uh, Phil in Indiana says that we need, in fact, I think there was a really good answer to the question because he says, you do these things, you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we've got to grow in all these characteristics that Peter mentions there in that familiar text. And I think that's exactly right. Part of that is going to involve Bible study necessarily. We need to study our Bibles if we're to grow in those things. Um, you know, that's actually a command for us, Jacob, that we're supposed to be growing as Christians. Second Peter three eighteen, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If we're not growing, we're not what the Lord wants us to be. And you see some activity there in the verses that Phil has mentioned. You know, we have to add these things to our faith. Just having faith, we have to grow that and add to that. We need to have virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and uh, charity. And so these are things, Dad, that we've got to be growing in. And as we mentioned before the break, if we're stuck on whether or not we should worship God, are we focusing on any of these things, adding these things to our faith? I highly doubt it. That's right. Um, in First Peter chapter 2, verse 2, it says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby, just like a baby desires to be fed. That's the desire we're to have for the word of God, that we can grow by it. Um, you know, the, the, the word of God is the source of our spiritual nourishment. And if we're not studying it, if we're not receiving that nourishment, then we're not going to succeed. You, you know, every once in a while, unfortunately, we know of people who got very sick, maybe with some terminal illness, and they lose their appetite. They just have no appetite. They can't eat. They just can't. Uh, they just have no desire for food. They're sick and they're growing weaker and it's not going to get better as long as they, in other words, you've got to have food to, to sustain the body. And if you don't get that food, if you're weak and sickly and you have no appetite and you won't eat, you're just going to get worse. You're not going to get better. Spiritually speaking, it's the same thing. If you are weak and sick spiritually and if you have no appetite for the nourishment that comes from studying God's word and the growth that can be accomplished by that, then you're not going to get better. You've got to have that desire for Bible study. And that's why I think everybody needs to establish a regular pattern of Bible study. There needs to be some process in this one in this one comment we had here. You need to study at home by your own motivation. Uh, earlier, we were talking about attending Bible study and worship. Very important. But those who allow that to be the full extent of their exposure to the Word of God are not getting enough of it. Exactly right. You know, Dad, as we, we look at professionals... Uh, in the workforce, teachers, for example, healthcare professionals, they have to go through continuing education. They don't just go to school, learn how to be a teacher, go to school, learn how to be a nurse, and then just go out and do it every day. They go back and they learn and continue to remind themselves of the fundamentals uh, of their occupation. And as Christians, though, we have the idea if we read it once, if we learn it, then we can just go on and never go back to God's Word and refresh ourselves with what He said therein. If professionals that are doing this every day on their job have to be refreshed, certainly we as Christians would have to as well. I think that's right. And if you think about it, Jacob, uh, uh, on a normal week, 
we would have what uh, an hour of Bible study Sunday morning and an hour of worship. That's two hours. Another hour of worship on Sunday evening, three, and another hour of Bible study on Wednesday night, four hours. But even of those four hours, the, not the whole amount of time is involved in in reading, studying, learning the things that are in the Word of God. So something less than four hours a week. Uh, if that's all you've got out of out of the whole week, what, how many how many hours are there in a week? Uh, uh, 172, 100, what's seven? 24 times, times seven? Uh, 168. 68. 168 hours. So you're going to do four. Uh, let's see. Um, I got a calculator right here. Let's see how much percent of our time. Somewhere around between three, two and three percent. Yeah, it would be 2.3 percent of our time devoted to serving God, learning his, uh, the messages of his word. That's just not enough. I mean, that's just not going to get the job done. It wouldn't be enough in any other pursuit. And so we're talking about being effective as a Christian here. And if that's the full extent of time that we're willing to devote to, uh, to our business of being Christians, it's not going to get the job done. We're going to be ineffective. Exactly right. 877-381-4567. Questions at College View. Dot com. We appreciate Phil for his good comments tonight. By the way, the virtual Bible study gives you at least another full, solid, full hour of Bible study every week. You ought to make that a regular practice. It still doesn't get you, three, get you up to 3%, though. So No, it's yeah. still not enough. Yeah. It's not enough, but we we hope that everybody will make that a, a regular thing. All right. Um, in fact, we're just getting an email in from Don. And uh, he talked about things that make people ineffective. I think I'm just reading this just now, but I think this ties in just with what we were saying. To be ineffective, falling, fall, you, you become ineffective by falling into a trend in which they limit their service to God to just the few hours a week they go to church. It's amazing to me how some will forsake God by never cracking a Bible during the week, but will make sure they don't forsake the assembly on Wednesday and Sunday. Uh, and, and so that's right in line with what we were just saying and also, uh, uh, he says, to be effective, we need to seek godliness seven days a week. I think that's right. It's got to be. It's got to be our principal pursuit in life. I want to add something to that, though. You know, Don makes an excellent point there that it's more than just worshiping uh, on Sunday, but worshiping on Sunday is required. Yeah, we can't say, well, I'm going to be good throughout the week, and I, I don't have to worship on Sunday. The command is that we assemble with brethren to worship God together, and we just can't get around that. Exactly right. You know, the, the, I think what Don is saying there when he says we need to seek God in the seven days a week, I think this is conveyed in the statement of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 and verse 6 in the Beatitudes. He said, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be filled. We need to have a hungering and a thirsting for these things. And I, as I've studied that passage, my understanding is that Jesus used strong words there. You know, sometimes when we say, I'm hungry. Well, we just maybe ate a couple hours ago, but we're hungry again. That's not the word there. The word there denotes starving to death. We need to desire the word of God like a starving man desires uh, food or a man dying of thirst desires water. That's the kind of the, that's the power of the words that Jesus used there. That needs to be our desire for things of God. And if we don't have that, uh, then we're just not going to be successful. We're not going to be effective uh, in serving God. If if people went about their jobs, Jacob, with the same kind of enthusiasm that they have for the things of God, they'd probably lose their jobs. They certainly wouldn't succeed. They wouldn't get promoted. Their career would not be advanced if they went about pursuing spiritual things the way they do. Uh, if they went about pursuing their job things the way they do spiritual things. Yeah, back to Don's email. If we go to church on Sunday and we go to, we attend a Bible study on Wednesday night, and the rest of the week we do whatever we want to. We're not any more involved with spiritual things than someone would be with a hobby. You know, Dad, that's not even a serious hobby to do it a couple hours on Sunday and a couple hours on Wednesday. We've got to have it a part of our life. It has to be. It has to be our entirety, Dad. That's right. As you say, uh, uh, people devote a lot more energy than that to just their pastimes. Exactly right. All right. The number to call, 877-381-4567. The email address to use is questions at collegeview.com. We'll take a break a little bit early and give you time to get your thoughts together and to join in on the discussion. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. 
Hello. Hey, Matt. No, I don't have any plans for Friday night. What are you doing? Oh, I won't be able to go with you to watch that movie. Because, Matt, the movie is rated R. Hey, why don't you just come over and hang out at my house Friday night? Great, I'll see you there. Being pleasing to God means that you may have to be different than the crowd. But don't be afraid to stand up for what's right. It just might find it is easier than what you expect. A message brought to you by College U Church of Christ. Hello, my name's Jeffrey Vernon. I'm 13, and this is the Virtual Bible Study. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And we are broadcasting around the world, so tell your friends and family, wherever they may be, to join us on Thursday nights on the Virtual Bible Study. We appreciate you being here tonight, and we're looking forward to your participation. 877-381-4567 is the way you can participate with your voice, or you can participate with your fingers by sending us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Jacob, as we keep talking about some of the things that can either ruin or make your uh, service to the Lord, in other words, either ruin your effectiveness or make sure that you are fruitful in service to the Lord, uh, another thing that has come up on some of our emails is the need to be involved in prayer regularly. Uh, I have an email from Larry in Mount Pleasant, uh, Tennessee, who says, the most important regular practice in a Christian's life is prayer. It teaches us to rely on the will of God and to not rely on our own understanding of our situations. The more we talk to God, the more he will be at the forefront of our minds when talking to others so that we may be more aware of a person in need of the gospel. And so Larry suggested an important regular practice of, of an effective Christian would be prayer. And I would certainly have to agree with that. In uh, James chapter 5, and verse 16, we're encouraged uh, along those lines. In James chapter 5, verse 16, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So James says prayer is powerful. Prayer has an effect, and we need to use prayer if we're going to be effective Christians. Certainly, you know, we have to uh, go to God in prayer. We need strength that we can obtain from prayer dad numerous passages we could cite but without being regular in prayer we certainly can't be what god would have us to be you know i uh, i would confess that one of the that's one of the things that i have to work on is remembering to prayer and be involved in prayer throughout the day you know i think maybe all of us have had the uh, occasion of you know getting pretty well into the day and suddenly realizing you hadn't taken time to pray so all uh, all of us need to establish the habit of prayer but again when I use the word habit there, I'm not talking about something we do by rote or it just becomes a routine, a mindless uh, activity that we engage in, but it doesn't really mean anything to us. You know, uh, we've also all probably had the experience of, uh, I know when you all, when you kids were at home around the dinner table, we we always prayed before we ate, and more than once we'd be into the meal and one of the kids would say, oh, "We forgot to pray." Well, we hadn't forgotten to pray. We had prayed, but it had become a rote activity to the point that it didn't even register. That's not the kind of prayer we're talking about here. We should not pray at that level. We need to we need to have meaningful prayers, but we need to be in the habit, or that is, we need to be in the regular routine of praying throughout the day. You know, but someone might say, "Well, I'm just too strong. I'm too strong. I don't have to pray." You know, we look at the examples of strong characters in the bible and the characteristic of them all is that they were faithful in prayer that's exactly right jesus himself i mean jesus was a sinless man and yet he spent on occasions whole nights in prayer all through the night he spent hours in prayer and so uh, it is certainly an important thing the apostle paul as strong as he was was a man devoted to prayer and we need to be too you know uh, the the people that you're close to you talk to them a lot uh, you know, just uh, your friends, your family, the people that you feel a closeness to, you desire to talk to them on a regular basis. Well, are, do we do we desire to have that close relationship with God? If we do, then we need to talk to Him in prayer uh, frequently, and be in the in the regular practice of that. I, I hesitate to call that a habit, but we need to be in the regular practice of prayer. You know, there are some who think that they don't need prayer, Dad, that they don't need God's assistance throughout the day. 
and certainly that's misguided. We must be faithful in our prayer. We appreciate Larry for the comments tonight, and we'd like to have yours. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Jacob, we've got an email come in from Randy in Van Buren, Arkansas. Randy, we're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study tonight. And this one kind of ties in with the point we were talking about earlier. He says, some who profess Christianity seem to want to compromise the truth in order to be like denominationalism. I believe this will ruin our effectiveness. And I think you're right. I, I, this would go back to a point we made right at the start when we talked about trying to be friends with the world. And and compromising what is right, compromising what God expects us to do uh, in order to be friends with the world. Uh, We talked earlier about talking like the world, dressing like the world, acting like the world, going to places the worldly people go. But this would be another one in that category, compromising doctrinally to be accepted by the false religions of the world. You know, you look at some uh, denominations, it's almost like they've looked at the YMCA or some of the civic organizations and said, boy, it would be great if we had all those people coming into our church building. And so they've made themselves just like a YMCA, just like uh, a civic organization, and you can't tell any difference. And there's no effectiveness there truly in uh, getting people to be like Christ. I really think that if we go that route, we're sort of... Selling our birthright, and I'm uh, here. I'm, I'm making an allusion to the Old Testament account of uh, Jacob and Esau, where Esau had no regard for what was important in in his family, the birthright in his family, and he sold it for a bowl of pottage. If we compromise the truth, then we've sold our birthright. I mean, you you might as well go join a social club, go join the country club. You can have more fun there. You can play golf and do everything else at the country club. And if we're trying to make the church into a poor man's country club, it's a, it's a, we're actually selling our birthright. Uh, we're losing what makes us uniquely uh, important in the world, and we're just like all the rest. And so that compromise that Randy mentions there I think is exactly right. Religious compromise makes us ineffective in the service to the Lord. Thank you for your email tonight, Randy. We're glad that you're listening to the virtual Bible study. We'd like to hear from you. 877-381-4567 is the phone number to use, and the line is open. You can join in on the discussion tonight on the phone or send your emails to questions at collegeview.com. Jacob, I would add in that another thing that can make us ineffective in serving the Lord is if we are selfish in our outlook, we want to be served rather than to serve. And uh, I, I think that that's... A real problem. I don't know if everybody, I may have to explain a little bit more what I mean, but I see this attitude reflected in some people who would complain, for instance, that, uh, well, I was sick and nobody called to see about me, or I was in the hospital and no one came to visit, but the people who I've heard those kind those are those are not make-believe or hypotheticals. I've heard people offer those very complaints, but the people offering those complaints themselves never call on the sick, never visit anybody in the hospital. And so what you're seeing there is a mentality in which I need to be served. Why aren't people doing things for me? They don't think about doing things for others. They want to know what's being done for me. Um, You know, occasionally you see this uh, when I'm here at the church building. I get calls every once in a while from people in the community who want to know what kind of programs do you offer you know, in other words, what kind of things can you do? What kind of programs for the young people do you have? And they're talking about, you know, recreational activities and so forth. Uh, you know, they th- these kind of people are are looking to religion for what it can do for them rather than what they can do in service. And that's the wrong outlook. You ever get any calls on the phone to say, I'm new to the area and looking to find a church? How many elderly people are there in that congregation that need assistance or? How many, how many young children's classes are there that I can teach that? that? I've never I've never had that occasion. All right. So maybe we're looking at uh, these things a little bit uh, from the wrong perspective. That's right. In, in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, Jesus said, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Uh, the verse preceding that one said, Whosoever you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. 
So if you're going to be great and and tying it into our theme for our study tonight, if you want to be effective in service to God, be a servant. Jesus himself didn't come to be served, but to serve. And, of course, he ultimately did it in the laying down of his own life. But here's the very son of God who deserved to be served, but he made himself a servant. And certainly, and he was deserving that. We're not. We're not deserving to be served. We need to be servants, and that's how we become effective in the kingdom. Yeah, it's a. It seems that some people have the idea that being a Christian is a path to stardom, that you will become somehow famous, and some have some type of celebrity status by being a Christian. The way that you become a successful Christian dad is by assuming those lowly roles and. Uh, and getting the spotlight off of you and putting the focus on and attention on others. In Matthew 23, Jesus rebuked the hypocritical Pharisees who loved, uh, well, notice what he says here in Matthew 23, uh, beginning verse 5. Uh, verse 6, they loved the uppermost room at feast, the chief seats in the synagogues, greetings in the markets, and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. And Jesus uh, says, of course, he condemns that outlook, and he says in verse 11, Matthew 23, verse 11, He that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. So just everything we read from Jesus and the inspired writers tells us that we ought to seek to be a servant rather than serve. In First Peter 2, verse 21, it's Peter said, Here and two were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. So we should be like Jesus. Jesus sought to serve, not be served. If anybody deserved to be served, certainly it would be the creator of the world. He should have come to this earth, and he could have expected that people would be at his feet washing them, but instead he assumed the role of servant, and we should do the same. We're no better than Christ. If Christ could serve others, we can as well. You know, a good test, Jacob, might be, in this matter of being a servant, and I think that's really important. I think the the scripture has so much to say about that. A good test for people might be to ask the question, compared to what I have received and am receiving, what have I given back? What am I doing? In other words, even even ask the question, Knowing what I expect of others, what I would expect others to do for me, do I do the same for them? That's that's a very simple kind of thinking, but it needs to be a, applied by everyone. And isn't that what Jesus told us we should be doing? And if we're not doing that, are we f- complying with the command that Jesus gave us? I don't think so. Yeah, it's certainly a tall order to fill, no doubt, but uh, it is our obligation as Christians. I think that's exactly right. Um, We'd like to get your input on this. Send us an email. And remember, the email address is questions at collegeview, C-O-L-L-E-G-E-V-U-E. Remember to spell the view, V-U-E, questions at collegeview.com. Send us an email. We can still get your comments worked into our discussion this evening, and we want to do that. And we'd love for you to call. Give us a call toll-free, 877-381-4567. We want to hear from you. All right, let's take one more break, and then we're going to go to the top of the hour. So jump in with your questions or comments now. The virtual Bible study will continue after these important messages. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. I'm Arthur Haynes from Kaleoka, Tennessee, and one of my greatest highlights of the week is to listen to the virtual Bible study. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The Virtual Bible Study continues. And welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. Again, we look forward to your participation. Plenty of time to go and plenty of time to take your questions or your comments as we talk about 
things that will destroy our effectiveness as Christians and things that we need to have as a part of our lives to help us be effective. And we look forward to your participation on this important discussion. Dad, I want to go back to that discussion we were having previously about being a servant. Have you ever known anyone who was an effective Christian who didn't have that attitude? You know, we see people who are selfish, and we see the devastating effect that can have on their effectiveness and on those that they're around. And on the flip side of that, uh, we look at people who are effective, who have meant a lot to us in our lives, and we note the characteristic of their lives is that they're a servant. They're humble, and they're interested in other people. And certainly that ought to be an example for us as we try to be effective Christians as well. You know, I think that's exactly right. I think that's really a good test from time to time to say, you know, who are the people that you've known in your life who just really manifested true Christianity? I mean, it would just, you, you just, when you think of certain characteristics, you think of them. And, and in regards to this matter of servitude, the people that you most admired in your life as a Christian, the ones who really stood out as exemplary, what was their attitude in regards to this business of serving or being served? We got a lady in the church here, and I won't name her by name. I don't want to embarrass her, but she just stands out in my mind as someone that's just so noble in this regard. You know, if there's somebody sick uh, that needs to be visited, if there's somebody in need, uh, and and if you finally get around to seeing them or trying to to to, to call on them, this this person that I'm thinking of has already been there long before you were there. Uh, there got there, they've already been there, and. And uh, I just admire her so much uh, in, in this regard. And but that's that's the way it is. The the people who really stand out in your mind as as great Christians, the ones who have been effective. We're talking tonight about being effective. The ones who've been effective, the ones who are effective and have been effective in serving the Lord, are the ones who have a servant's heart. And I know the one you're talking about, Dad. And she's not doing it to get the praise of men. In fact, you wouldn't know that she'd done the things that she does if people weren't catching her in that act and, and talking behind her back and then noting what she'd done. Well, that's right. You wouldn't, she would never tell you that she'd done these things. You know, this same person, just an example of her servant's heart, uh, here at College View, we have a rotating schedule of people who clean the building. This woman cleans the building more than anybody else because when she finds out that a family's maybe got a little thing going on or there's some, maybe, maybe somebody's been sick or they've got something that they're, that's demanding a lot of their time, she'll She'll come over here and clean the building for them before they even get a chance to do it because she knows that they're under a, a stress or a strain, and she fills in for them without even being asked to do that. I just, I, I, It's just very commendable. Well, those are the kind of people that are effective, Dad. Now, you've never looked at someone who was selfish, who always had to have their way and got upset, got all bent out of shape if something didn't go their way and wanted everybody to do things for them and in the way that they approved of. You never look at them and say, boy, that person is really an encouragement to me. You know, every time we have a business meeting, brother so-and-so gets bent out of shape if we don't go right along with his opinion. He is really an encouragement to me. And -and so-and-so got all uh, out of shape because we didn't take any food to her when she was sick. She's just really an encouragement to me. Yeah. She is such an effective Christian uh, by the way that she lives. You don't, you, you know, you don't look at people like that. That's exactly right. So I think that's a really important point. I'm glad that it got included in the mix here tonight. When we're talking about effectiveness as a Christian. Develop a servant's heart. You want to be an effective Christian? Develop a servant's heart. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview dot com. Please join in on the discussion in the remaining minutes of the program tonight. Jacob, another thing that that I see, and this pretty much ties in right along the lines of what we were just talking about, but let's talk a minute about murmuring and complaining, because I think those who murmur and complain totally destroy their effectiveness as servants. Uh, And we've kind of been hinting at some of that with these people who want to be served. They are sort of murmurers and complainers. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Beginning verse 10, Paul said, Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now, what he's talking about there is the example of the children of Israel in the Old Testament times. Uh, they were murmuring. And, and Paul warns, Don't you murmur as they did. They were destroyed of the destroyer. He says, These things happen to them for examples, and they're written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. You know, the, as we study the Old Testament, that is exactly the history of the Israelites. They complained about everything. They were... They, and and it's 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 so stunning to look at the things that God was doing for them, and they were complaining about it. God gave them manna from heaven, 
food food that they just had to go out and gather off the ground. They didn't even have to work for it. Uh, he, he gave them quails to eat that they didn't have to hunt for. And they complained about it. They, so, you know, in, in the midst of an abundance of blessings from God. He had brought them out of Egyptian captivity, and he was blessing them on their way to the, to a land that he intended to give them as a, as a possession, and they were complaining right along. Well, you, you know that God destroyed them because of their murmuring and complaining, and, and that gives us an idea, and that's what Paul's saying there in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 10 and 11. Get the idea that he did that to them. It did not please him to have them murmuring and complaining. It does not please him to have us murmuring and complaining. Uh, Psalm 95, when God is talking about that, it uh, isn't interesting to get his perspective on that. Psalm 95, verse 9, beginning... When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work, 40 years long was I grieved with this generation and said it is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. God gets upset with us when we murmur and complain, and you know, there are Christians. God could potentially say to them, they're old enough that he could potentially say to them, 40 years long has he been grieved with them because they have murmured and complained. We can't be the effective Christians that we need to be without uh, being thankful, Dad, and content with the things that God has blessed us with. In Philippians 2, verse 14, Paul says, simply do all things without murmurings and disputings. And so we've got to get over that. We will not be effective. You know, people who allow themselves to fall into the habit of murmuring and complaining, they're typically unhappy. They're very ineffective. They can't be a positive example. Uh, they are They are not an encouragement. And they're just not effective in service to the Lord uh, if they are murmuring and complaining. And the scriptures say a lot about that. I I think that we've got to be careful. I, I, I believe that we are in an age that lends itself to murmuring and complaining. We need to be careful about that. It destroys our effectiveness. All right. We have to make sure, Dad, that we're not like those Israelites. We need to look at them. We need to learn the lesson of their mistakes and make sure that we're thankful. And if they could be thankful out there in the wilderness living with uh, what they lived with, certainly we can be thankful and content with all the blessings that we enjoy. Let's go up to Boston, Massachusetts, and welcome Greg to the program. Hello, Greg. Welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. Hello? Are you there? Hello? Well, I don't hear Greg. Greg, are you there? We have a problem. Why don't you go check that phone and... uh, We'll try and get Greg back on with us here, hopefully. We got an email, and I think this ties in sort of closely to the idea of murmuring and complaining, Jacob. But we got an email that says the number one most damaging thing that a Christian might do is to gossip about or slander someone who is a, uh, who is a Christian or not. Not only does this bring shame to the person being talked about, but also to the Lord's church. If a Christian can't find the good in someone who can. And so I think uh, this email suggests gospel and slander. I would I would tie that closely in with the idea of murmuring, complaining. I think they all have the same root disposition in people's hearts. Well, it's failure to be thankful for our brethren. And we murmur and complain about them. You know, it's so easy to find fault in our brethren and to complain about them. And wouldn't we be guilty of that? And, you know, we'd be guilty of having fault and of complaining and murmuring about our home and saying, you know, look at our home, how how pitiful it is. And then so, talk about some of the people in the home or yeah. talk about some of the people in the church. As you're murmuring and complaining, then you're, gossip, you're throwing a little gossip about somebody that didn't satisfy you. It's all the same attitude, and so we have to be careful about that. Okay. All right. Um, are we going to get that? We're not linking up well, that phone We're call. working on it. We're working on it. got a little technical issue. All right, let's try it one more time. Greg, are you there? Hello? Yes, Greg. Yes, welcome, hi. Welcome to the Virtual Bios Day. Sorry we had trouble there with you. Okay, thank you. Yeah, you're in Boston tonight? I'm in Boston. All right. Yeah. Now I, uh, so I'm listening to the the study on uh, um, gospel and murmuring. What text are you using for the... Well, we've got we've got uh, the example. Paul used the example of the uh, Israelites in the Old Testament in First Corinthians chapter ten, verse ten, when he said, "Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer." And he he goes on to warn that these things happen to them for our example. They're written for our admonition. So we need to learn not to murmur and complain as the Israelites did. Philippians two fourteen, Paul said simply, "Do all things without murmuring and disputing." 
Yeah. The abundance of the heart the most speaks, so I guess if you're murmuring, there's something wrong going on in your heart, huh? Don't you think that it probably represents a, 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 a sort of ingratitude that would lead you to murmur and complain? The Israelites certainly were ungrateful for what God had done for them, and it, it caused them to murmur and grumble. Right. I agree. You know, think about all the ben- I agree. Think of the blessing to us uh, in in our daily lives if we could learn to be content and, oh. and thankful for all the blessings that God has given us. Um, certainly, uh, you know, we'd be much happier. That's exactly right. Greg, uh, how'd you find the virtual Bible study up there in Boston? I uh, googled it. Well, good. And I uh, came up. So. <laughs> you know, now, are you a resident of Boston? Yeah. Yeah, well, great. Well, we're glad that you found us, and uh, hope you'll keep listening and uh, tell others up there about the virtual Bible study. Okay. Thank you, Greg. Thank you. Thank you. you. All right. Great to hear from Greg tonight and appreciate his call. And uh, highlights the importance for us, Dad, to be grateful and thankful for all the blessings that God has given us. We've got one more category of things that we want to talk about before we run out of time, uh, and we still do have time to get your comments. If you want to call or send us an email, do it right away. We're just about out of time, but we'd still try to work you in. But one other thing that I think does lead to ineffectiveness is the idea of uh, being hypocrites. Maybe, you know, the Sunday-only Christians. uh, It goes along with some of the things Don said in his email. Yeah, I think that's right. And I got an email from Jim up in Somerset, Kentucky, who says, what makes you ineffective as a Christian? Hypocrisy. In a perfect world, everyone would take every piece of information or advice they received at face value. Then they would consider that information and weigh it based on its own merits. But this is not a perfect world, and that is not what people do. What people actually do is attach as much significance to advice as the advice giver has credibility. In other words, if they don't respect you, they won't listen to what you have to say. And nobody respects a hypocrite. But our Lord, in his infinite wisdom, knew this and advised us to, quote, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, Matthew 5, 16. So while we wish that a person would accept the truth based upon its own merits, that's just simply not likely to happen. So we need to start our personal work with some personal, personal work and first convert the man in the mirror. And so he's saying if you want to ruin your effectiveness, um, he, he says, just be a hypocrite. I, I think that's exactly right. Got an email from Greenwood, Indiana, which says along the same line, Quote, I believe that everyone should get into the habit of living a good example 24 hours a day to family, friends, fellow workers, and strangers we meet. After a while, this will become easy and seem natural. Also, have an open mind when talking to others about religious topics. Listen carefully, and you will learn certain aspects of their belief or understanding that might give you the opportunity to reply and plant a seed in their mind that might grow in the future. Um, So uh, these two, I think are along the same line that if you want to ruin your effectiveness, be a hypocrite. If you want to be effective, you've got to be a good example. Certainly, and we have to be a good example on a continual basis. It just takes a little bit of of us letting down our guard and not being the example we should be, and we will ruin our example totally by just uh, a little bit of inconsistency. And so we appreciate those emails. A little bit more here from Jim's email. Jim in Somerset writes, to be effective, he said, what habits do we need for being effective? He says, uh, in addition to Bible study and prayer, he said, I would add that talking about your your service, talking about your religion, talk about Jesus, talk about God, talk about the Bible, talk about how God answers prayers, just generally talking about spiritual things as much as possible all day long. In this culture, we're surrounded by so much filth and sin that if we just sit and passively experience the things around us, we will often see and hear things that offend our Christian sensibilities. So my mission is this, that I drown out their complaints with my thanksgiving, their cursings with my blessings, their pride with my prayers, their fears with my peace. To make uh, make uh, this short, he said, it's just helps to get God back in the conversation. And I think that's a good point. Appreciate Jim. Good comments there. Appreciate Jim's tonight. You got another email that's popped up that we need to work in before we can call it a quits for tonight. Right. Uh, Keith in uh, Lynchburg, Tennessee, 
who's actually worshiping in Tullahoma, Tennessee, uh, writes in and says, picking good friends to be around is one thing that will help one's ability to remain a Christian. We, re- re- we recently left a liberal church and found that good friends are hard to come by. We never looked for any trouble, but we sure found some. We are glad to be at a church that is, ble- is a blessing to us. And so uh, Keith, who's been through a recent experience, says he sees being around the right kind of people really helps you maintain effectiveness as a Christian. And I would absolutely agree, Keith. I think you're right on there. Thank you, Keith, for your email tonight. And thank you for being willing to go through those challenges in your effort to be pleasing to God. Well, Dad, we've had a good discussion tonight, and we've talked about a lot of things that we need to keep in mind. It is certainly easy for us to be ineffective Christians, and uh, the devil wants us to be ineffective, and so he's going to give us lots of opportunities. He's glad for you to be a Christian as long as he can keep you to be totally ineffective as a Christian. Certainly. He likes for you to wear that name and think that everything's okay and to have some of these characteristics that we talked about tonight. Exactly right. So we we need to kind of get our act together and work hard at being effective in service to the Lord. All right. Well, thank you for your discussion tonight, Dad. Enjoyed uh, being with you tonight. I'm glad for all the input and all the listeners. Make it a regular habit. Make it a regular appointment. Lord willing, we'll be back next Thursday night at that same time, same place. All right. Make a note and be sure to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.